Hi, hello, and welcome to the Agile Coffee Podcast, episode 54. My name is Vic Bonacci, and we are now part of the Agile Podcast Network. That's right. It's the collection, the one and only collection of the best Agile-centric podcasts all in one place. You've got Corey's Deliverate Cast, Paul with Reflection as a Service, Ryan's Agile for Humans, Josh and Bob's Metacast, and so much more. Follow us on Twitter at AgilePodNet. Go to the website AgilePodcastNetwork.com for more information. Happy to announce that we have restocked our Agile Coffee Conversation Starters. Those cards, Volumes 1, 2, and 3, are back. They're online at AgileCoachingCards.com. If you go there now and you buy the full set, 1, 2, and 3, you also get the additional not-for-sale set of the Agile Coaches Toolkit. That's right, you can have all four of the colors, blue, green, red, and yellow. And if you see me in San Diego over the next few days at the Global Scrum Gathering down there, let me know, and I will give you a free deck. That's right, I'm going to be carrying around a few dozen decks of the Coach's Toolkit, and I'll be handing those out. The conversation starters can only be purchased online, agilecoachingcards.com. And speaking of San Diego, that's right. It starts. I mean, it's 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 bittersweet, I guess, but it's still sweet. It's more sweet than bitter. But the journey has come to uh, to its last few days now. Uh, I'm driving down to San Diego imminently, like in in the morning here. As I record this, I'm putting this together. Uh, the luggage is already packed. I got to throw the surfboards in the car, and I'm all set. I'll be on the road to San Diego. I'll be down there from Saturday through the end of the gathering, which is Wednesday, and then another couple days. Uh, Michael Sahota has been gracious enough to put together a really great-looking class uh, for us on Thursday and Friday. Um, so big kudos and many thanks to Michael for putting that together. Um, but the gathering, I mean, that's the news of the day, week, month, and year. Uh, Kim Brainerd and I, as co-chairs, uh, have been planning this for so, so long now. And, and it's it's right in our grasp. Oh, these next few days are going to be amazing. So if you're down there, you know, run into me, say hi. And um, and like I said, I'll, I'll give out uh, a few of these decks of cards. So uh, hit me up on Twitter if you're down there too. That would be great. And I'll make sure that we put something aside for you. Hey, today's episode is is a really fun one. It's 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 a bit long. It's on the longer side, but I mean there's you can't you can't cut out some of the stuff that we said. It's it's amazing. We had a really good time. We had six of us um outdoors and Colleen Kirtland brought her ukulele. I brought mine too, but it was it was all Colleen that you're going to hear uh making the the musical introductions for today. So give Colleen a shout out. She's on Twitter at agile bohemian. And let her know how much pleasure you got from listening to her anecdotes about music being like agile and vice versa, and, and just hearing the joy that pours out when uh, when she bursts into song on more than one occasion in the upcoming episode. And other podcasts of note, um, have you listened to Agile Next? Yeah, it's um it's a podcast put together by Daniel and Stephen, where they interview. Agile aficionados from across the world, 
And uh, it's really compelling stuff that they've got over there. Uh, check it out online at agilenext.tv. Speaking of Daniel, he promises to be a part of our podcast panel. That's right, on day two of the gathering, that's Tuesday, at uh, at 3 o'clock, actually, specifically in Marina 2, that's the name of the room there, we've got a um, an experiment we're putting on. We're putting a, uh, together a panel of podcasters. We're recording it, and uh, we'll distribute it amongst all the podcasters who, who participate. Um, not only will we have Daniel Golo... Um, representing Agile Next. Um, Paul Winia with uh, the Agile Games podcast will be there. Uh, I'll be making an appearance. You'll have some people from the Scrum Alliance and their their uh, their podcasts they're putting together. Uh, they'll be a part of the panel, as well as those friends of ours from the Agile Podcast Network. Um, Josh, Corey, and Ryan all have indicated that they would like to participate. So we hope to get them involved as well. And um, we'll see what happens. It'll be the first, like I say, for um, for all of us to do this type of a podcast live from the gathering itself. So it should be a barrel of fun, really. Um, in fact, we've, we're putting together a podcast room uh, specifically this time around at the gathering. It's the first time that we're putting aside a space for podcasters to come and you know, reserve some time. So um, I hope that if you have a podcast that you're bringing your own gear and, and you're already there and preparing to use that. But uh, it should be it should be a good service, I think, for the community of podcasters going forward. Follow along on Twitter with the hashtag SGCal for all the fun, and we won't steer you wrong. Whew, got all that? <laughs> Just having fun, just having fun. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this nice, fresh brew of Agile Coffee. When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. Welcome to the Agile Coffee Podcast. This is episode 54. My name is Vic Bonacci. You can reach me on Twitter at Agile Coffee. Tonight, wow, this is uh, this is great, guys, because for the first time in a long time, we're doing a traditional lean coffee again. We took a break for a few episodes, um, but we've got the old gang back together with a couple, at least one new person, right? So uh, around the table uh, here, the picnic table, the nice aluminum picnic table, we have Brett Palmer. Hi, Brett. Well, hello. Dale Ellis. Hey, everybody. Glad to be back. First-timer, John Eisenschmidt. Thanks for having me, Vic. You got it. Larry Lawhead. Glad to be here, as always. And Colleen Kirtland. Hi. Beautiful Irvine weather for uh, this time of the year. It's got to be like in the 
high 60s, low 70s right about now, and it's 7 p.m. So, you know, there's no walls around California yet. So uh, if you want to move out here, nothing's stopping you, right? Um, we've got a number of great topics, so let's just dive right in. First off, Colleen, this is yours. It says, too many branded flavors of Agile. What's that all about? Yes, well, I was particularly just inspired. This question came up because I think, honestly, as the years have passed, I think Agile has grown quite commercialized, and there are more and more flavors of, like, scaled scaled Agile framework. I, I mean, nothing against these frameworks, by the way. I don't want to say mm. anything, but there's so many different flavors now, and it seems like some of them are almost positioned to try and be a panacea for problems, and, okay, if, if this doesn't work, try this flavor, and... At the core of it, the principles are really simple and human and the same. And I, I just hope we never get away from that, that simple human element of, you know, executing to value, of collaborating and all those things. I, I just wonder what others think about that and, and how layered have we become? How commercialized are we going? <clears throat> so I have some uh, thoughts. This is Brett. Um, and uh, I've got some thoughts about that, uh, Colleen. Um, in my opinion, it's really like you said, about the values and the principles. And um, I would venture to guess that a lot of the um, folks that are practicing Agile out there in the field uh, are not necessarily familiar with the Agile Manifesto, with the values, the principles, and the philosophy behind it. So really it's like they've jumped into practicing without really understanding the mindset. And so then when there's challenges with the practices, they don't know where to go because they haven't, you know, they haven't necessarily spent time in the mental side of things. And so I, I do agree that uh, spending time and understanding those values and principles will certainly help to navigate yourself in the fog. When things get tough, you always want to find your center of gravity um, and your lighthouse, your north compass, you know, is, is the manifesto values and principles. And sometimes I even think, you know, uh, when people ask me questions and tell me about what's going on in their organization, when I really dig down into it, a lot of times it's like this absence of human concern. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I was talking to this one woman today who's in a startup, and she's trying to implement Agile. She's a VP of engineering. And I pointed her to simply worldempathy.org, where mm -hmm. it has a list mm -hmm. of all the things that people like, right? And um, good, good feelings, whether it's feelings of graciousness and peace. And and I said, in your next retrospective, go and ask your team what they want more of, you know. And she just said, oh my God, this is so enlightening. And that, I mean, anybody can Google that. Anybody can apply it. Mm. The hard thing to do is have the courage to confront that this is really what's underlying mm. the broken parts of my team. Mm -hmm. I you mentioned the Agile Manifesto, Brett, a minute ago. I mean, individuals and interactions over yeah. processes and tools. And so whenever you're saying, you know, any any branded name, that's a that's kind of a push toward the other side of it, right? The processes, yeah. Um, but um, I think sometimes we, we might forget why we are doing Agile. Yeah. Um, oftentimes I will coach teams at companies where – they're doing things, but they don't really understand why they're doing the Agile. Mm -hmm. What are they trying to optimize for? Are they trying to optimize for um, faster time to market, better quality? They don't necessarily know these things. They just know that 
somebody upstream said we're going agile. Um, we don't know necessarily the problem we're trying to address with that. Um, and, and then when the Agile's not working well, they don't have that center of compass. The Agile. To, you know, the Agile's not working yeah. well. Somehow we had a bunch of problems because we weren't going to hit our, you know, our scope yeah. or our schedule. And so now suddenly Agile's to the rescue and it's not necessarily a silver bullet, uh, you know, so. Yeah. So I haven't been to worldempathy.org. It's, I'll put that on the, on the show notes here. But uh, again, individuals and interactions, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. Uh, so when the agile's not working, go back to the people and talk to them, right? And, and see. Um, you mentioned a number of different brands. Is there something, and you don't have to name, name names on this, but it, was there, was there like one particular that you were thinking of that kind of like got you onto this topic? Was there like a? Um, it, hmm? No, it just seems like there's more and more kind of it's just training a, available for all these different flavors that you see out there, right? And yeah. and, uh, and I, I mean, I do appreciate like what Scale Up the Adru framework is trying to bring and, and other frameworks. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, it's almost like in some some cases people are trying to blend traditional PM practices with Agile, and it, there's a lot of that crunching together and and. It still doesn't really speak to the value. It's more processed. Yeah, well, it's hard, right? I it mean, is there's tough. a lot of different layers to this thing, and a lot of times companies will still have their traditional phase-gated uh, approach for budgeting and for initiating programs and portfolios, and then they'll, when once they do all these stage gates initially, then they'll say, okay, we now know what we're going to build and we have a budget for it. Now we can do development work, and now we're going to do this Agile thing yeah. for development. So they're really running Agile underneath a waterfall umbrella. So I don't know if anyone's heard of Stage Gate Agile. That's what there this here is. See, that's another brand, right? Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> exactly. I haven't heard of it. Are you serious? Yeah, Stage Gate Agile. Are you serious? So, um, <laughs> so this is uh, this is something that talks about like a, a discovery and ideation phase, and then there's a yeah. gate. And then there has to be a decision made, right? Can we go, <laughs> go on go, to go. the concept and business case phase? Who yeah. came up with and, this? And then we'll, um, I think it's a, a number of people, I want to say they're out of Florida, but if you go to, sta- if you Google StageGate Agile, and I'll have a link to it in the show notes, there's something like that. And, and they, um, you know, they, they're, I'm, they're I'm not, pretty, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that none of the original uh, signers yeah. of the Agile Manifesto <laughs> would think. <laughs> but I mean, when I, when Colleen, when you I mean, introduced that's, it. That's almost getting yeah. back to like a kind of a uh, waterfall approach. Um, RUP. Yeah, it, it kind it, of works okay. like yeah. that. And it also goes just to the level of human scale, right? I mean, I actually like a number of things in the Scaled Agile framework, but when you start to have planning sessions that are with 40 people, you really got to wonder, right? So mm-hmm. it, there's there's kind of a scaling, a numeric scaling challenge. The question really speaks to a bigger concern, Colleen, right? Yeah. It's that um, there's there, and there's been other talk on other podcasts, right? The subway maps that the, that the oh, consulting yeah. firms put out about all the different yeah. types of Agile and make, you know, people hear about it and how do they get resonance with it and a Adopt it, and I'm I'm um, coaching in a large transformation now, and it's at a client, so dozens of teams, thousands of developers, and we were running in an agile way, but we had to um, really figure out. This is John, by the way. We had to really <laughs> figure out how to how to get people into the process and get them out of the process. So without creating phase gates, 
how did we layer something on top where we can bring them in and out? And so in doing that, I can appreciate in some of these scale frameworks, they try to they try to build all that infrastructure on top of it. It just ends up becoming this this horrible marriage of of uh, you know traditional project management models and agile. Right? It really needs to keep the values first. I love the uh, the subway map or the, the the train map that you're talking about. And when I say love, I mean I love that it's that someone took the time to do that. I love that it's very colorful. I love that you can stand around it and just be like, wow, if this was Roppongi and this was Shinjuku, you know, how long would it take me to get from lean to to, uh, to rough or something like that? Um, and again, I'm not throwing stones at, at StageGate Agile. I'm sure that it works in the right setting. Um, when you mentioned it, when you met, when you brought the topic up, I was thinking like, okay, we've got the Scrum Alliance has their certifications. you got Scrum.org. You've got Scrum Inc. So that's like close to the vest. Then you can start going out and adding things onto it that'll help you scale. So you've got safe and, and less and, and we've talked about less in the past and you've got other dad and fast Nexus. and nexus yeah. and yeah, all these things. Wow. Uh, and then you've got these other abstractions, the, the stage gate and whatever else. Um, what's the end of it? When do we stop, when do we stop calling things agile when they come out with the name agile and they're, they're just not agile anymore? <laughs> I think That's I think if you I think if yeah. you break the culture, you're no longer yes. agile. If, if the people are if the people lack morale. That, that, that's a mess up right but, there. Yeah. You know. But that the word, I mean, let's go back to the core word, Agile, and why they, why the people in the Agile Manifesto adopted that word and it, from that from that business book that was out at the time and yeah. taking it from that. Yeah. It's when you... St- well, uh, if, they if were going to call it adaptive software, but one of the people in the, one of the signatories um, had a company, um, so they chose the name Agile. Even if it had gone that way, then the uh, the... Then the hallmark is is you know are you are you agile and yeah. I would think that there's an argument that any kind of a waterfall or phase gate process yeah, is inherently non. Mm-hmm. I would make the argument that that's inherently non-agile. Then you've broken so. it. You're not at, you're not you're you're not even meeting the dictionary definition of the word mm-hmm. agile there. Well, you, yeah, but you could have a waterfall program or, or a portfolio, and you could say. Let's have retrospectives every couple of weeks. How are we doing with this? We could have uh, opportunities for us to communicate with each other and respect each other, and maybe have a continuous type of sustainable pace. I mean, you could you could have that on a waterfall program or, or portfolio. You could do that. I guess the question would be, which is driving? You know, is yeah. the tail wagging the dog, or is the dog wagging the tail? Yeah. Is it value people first, yeah. or is it the process first? Mm-hmm. And usually, it's the phase gates of yeah. the process corralling the people through. Yeah, because you're trying to hit a fixed date with a fixed budget, you know, and a fixed scope, and you've got a fixed iron triangle now that you're trying to like <laughs> yeah. squeeze a, a, a square peg triangle. in a round hole now. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's yeah. the problem. Great. Uh, what do you think about this topic? Let us know on Twitter. Use the hashtag TellAgileCoffee. That was a really good topic. Thanks, Colleen. No problem. So next we have John. We have uh, the need for leadership beyond servant. Start us off with that. What's this mean? The need for leadership beyond service. So uh, uh, for the people that were not here before the microphone started, there was a little <laughs> bit of discussion that that um, sparked this in my head. But um, I think it's more so than in the project management world that I was in. I do a lot of um, – I live in the professional coaching world and the leadership development world quite a bit. So I'm glad to see that the Agile community being about values and people first really is in this conversation about leadership development and other stances to take. I think that servant leadership is one great default stance that somebody like a scrum master as a facilitator for a team can take. But um, I've also seen 
very often that other stances are required. And so um, just like I would want an Agile coach to be able to take more than one stance, I would want a Scrum Master to be able to take more than one servant leadership stance. So just an open question about what other ones are useful, what ones would be considered anti-patterns, what other thoughts do people have? That, that, that's a great question because... I mean, maybe that's why there's a lot of this um, sort of leadership development now spawning in the Scrum Alliance, because when you really think about it, executives are often their worst enemy. Mm. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. and, and I'll so, speak for that, because, I mean, that's my role, but I, I always remember, I guess there's a time to, and what is a, really, what is a servant, right? A servant isn't just somebody who obeys. A servant is someone who does the right thing. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the way of looking at it. And, and practically so, looks at what needs to be done. Yeah. So one thing that comes to my mind uh, as a leadership stance would be the uh, Chris, the work that Christopher Avery's doing with the responsibility process mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and, and hopes that we can get out of these levels of denial, shame, and blame, but move more towards, uh, um, uh, you know, the, the attitude of taking on one's uh, own responsibility. Mm-hmm. So I definitely, um, you know, see some value in, in that type of work. One of the things I've always appreciated about Agile is the fact that we're really, we push authority and autonomy down to the lowest levels. Mm-hmm. And so the, the flip side of that is you need to be able to take accountability and responsibility for what mm-hmm. you're doing. The other thing that I think is uh, really good, kind of uh, important for leaders is to really have this idea of systems thinking. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. yeah, definitely. And, yes. um, and, and, and it really it's about the system becoming aware of itself. Um, and, and that's really our, our goal, right? We want our system to become self-aware. And a lot of times, and most times, that's not happening. And so then we get into these pockets of of situations where you've got half the organization or certain pockets within the organization that are doing agile in different levels of, of skill, right? You got some pockets doing it very uh, mediocrely and uh, other pockets that are doing it quite well and, um, and then pockets that aren't doing it at all. And so, um, but really taking the systems thinking approach when trying to solve problems and really try to uh, craft the organizational design uh, for what you're trying to accomplish. So I want to go back to your original question. When you say stance, um, could you explain what that word means uh, in this case? Cause how, how I'm using it? Yep. It's mm-hmm. a great question. Um, let's see if I can be articulate about it. I think that at any, um, we are all capable of taking a certain perspective, being in a certain stance. So when, when very often in Agile, when we talk about servant leadership and scrum masters, we're really talking about the person playing the role of the facilitator for the team, putting themselves in service to the team. What does the team need to be most effective, deliver the most value, remove the most impediments? I think that's a great organizing principle. It's a great mm-hmm. default stance for a scrum master. Mm-hmm. One could, um, there are sometimes when things like assertive leadership or directive leadership or um, other, you know, sometimes you can't reach consensus, you can't facilitate to a certain conclusion. You always want to take it to the team, but um, there, I have seen teams paralyzed and not able to make decisions, and and uh, just facilitating them back through that doesn't always get the answer to. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say that they should be prescriptive, 
mm-hmm. or or force their opinions on anyone's throat. But sometimes in in different leadership roles, other stances are called for. Um, authentic leadership is another one. There, there's a, just a lot of them out there. So mm-hmm. I think that very often when we were talking about the Scrum Gathering earlier, right? And so very often when I go to big Agile conferences, there are people who have steeped themselves in this work and they really um, understand it, live it, breathe it. And then there are people who I feel like read the book and regurgitate the book, but they mm-hmm. don't really they don't really have a felt sense of, or an embodiment of what it means. So um, what stances do we take? I think servant leadership is sort of the obvious default one for a scrum master, but I would want to see that um, whether it's an organizational leader, somebody leading a transformation, or a scrum master, or somebody that's facilitating across teams, need, I think needs to be able to take more than one stance, even if that one's the default one. Nice. Did that answer your question? Yeah, uh, we were at a, a training, the, the Agile Coach uh, Coaching Institute's boot camp uh, mm-hmm. for coaches, and they said stance in a way like you can think of it as a sports, someone playing sports, how if you're lining up to uh, to drive a golf ball, you take a certain stance to fit that, that particular action that you're going to do um, versus like a sumo wrestler will have a different stance altogether because totally different outcome is expected in action going I, through. I also like the concept of influence, right, because... Um, mm-hmm. That's really core. I think I think you can push things or you can influence them. It's very very different, and it goes back to the old "Can you lead and can you follow?" as well. There are those times where you know you're going to kind of step on somebody's groove if you do something, and it's better to take a slow burn and kind of convince them in more um, non-direct ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I used to in the in the um, leadership work that I used to I used to do a lot of leadership training for for PMI project managers. And what I used to tell them is if if, you, if your leadership stance is your positional authority, you've lost yeah. or you've failed, right? Yeah. When, it's, when it becomes I'm the boss, do what I yeah. say, especially in an agile environment, it, you've lost. lost. It. Mm. Mm. You know, I see – this is Larry, by the way. I see two things. I struggled with this quite a bit with my first team. I was very anxious to see them adopt um, – get good scrum practices. And at first, they just weren't coming coming with me. And so I tried to figure out, find a model in my head that worked. And then I just kind of fell back on my dad thing. I raised, you know, three <laughs> kids, and they're all off doing their own thing now. Um, and there, there's a time when, you know, you're, you're the dad. You are the servant leader. You're helping them along, and you're giving them advice. It comes times when these, these rough, rough moments occur where you have to I'm not going to say lay down the law because it's not correct, but it's more inspirational. Like, don't you think it'd be best if we did it this way? Then you engage them in a conversation, and then you reach agreement, not consensus, but agreement, meaning we really see each other's point of view, and we agree to a certain a certain thing that we have to do, and we do it that way. So it, it, it works, but it takes... I really had to struggle with this because I, I... Earlier in my management career, I'd say... Shut up and do it my way. <laughs> Let's get yeah. on with it, you know. But it's not. This is not how it works, and, and I'm very glad that I worked through that. Mm. There's a there's a really great point in there though about, and I, I'm guessing you guys have seen this, but I remember the first Greenfield Agile team that I worked with, and even if you've got everybody working prioritization, understand what's you know, they're working the most important work that needs to be done. There's always some latitude to pick and choose. Well, you know, I really don't want to work on this bug. I don't want to work on mm-hmm. documentation. I want to code this feature. They're sort of the same priority. I can work around it. And at some point, I feel like you have to step into dad mode. And, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to use positional authority. You don't want to jam anything down their throat. But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you need to take your vegetables or clean your, eat your vegetables, <laughs> clean your room, 
whatever the analogy is, right? Some of the stuff does need to get done in service of the whole team. Yes. And sometimes when I see people that are really just working, operating solely from a servant leadership stance, they mm-hmm. aren't uh, that assertive or that directed to say, are you are you really doing everything you can do here? Yeah. AgileCoffee.com, episode 54. Um, let's move on. The next card, John, I believe also is yours. Is this uh, Virtual Teams and Agile? Is yeah, that- I'll set this up and I'll try to do less talking this round because I'm curious what <laughs> other people have to say. Um, so there are people who say you can't do uh, – it's very difficult or impossible to do Agile with, without using co-located teams. And I don't know that I subscribe to that belief. I think you can do it effectively with virtual teams. There is a different level of engagement, other things you need to do. And I know one of the clients that I'm working with, they have 30 offices and a lot of people work from home and offshore. And so it's a lot of the the anti-patterns that we would see in working virtually. So I'm sort of curious, just going around the table, do do people disagree that you can't ever do Agile effectively with virtual teams? Or if you think you can, what are the... What are some of the adaptive techniques to help make that run better? Um, was my curiosity. I'm curious what other people think. That's um, a burning question that's been going on forever. I mean, yeah. I, I think especially with the um, introduction of a lot of offshoring, you know, the mm-hmm. question is, how do you do it? And then people say, okay, well, at least co-locate a full set of people in one site. And that's not even possible at times. Um, but, yeah, I'm curious about what others have done to bridge that human gap yeah. Right. So, um, so this is Brett, and I have seen it work and not work. Um, I've seen it work well with uh, offshore teams. Um, a lot of times uh, in my in my career, I've seen um, these offshore teams are like third third party uh, contracting companies, um, where you have to be careful is with cultural sensitivities. So in certain parts of the world, uh, even within uh, India, for example, they mm-hmm. have a, a caste system. So if, uh, for example, you are engaging multiple offshore teams and then you have a developer from northern India working with a QA person in southern India, there might be a clash within uh, certain caste systems and cultures. And so uh, there's some culture sensitivity that you might must be aware of in those particular situations. Um, But I've seen, um, you know, uh, different time zones. Um, There's some coordination uh, respect that needs to happen. So if you're going to run a daily scrum meeting, you'd want to have it in a a time where everybody could be, you know, able to dial in. And maybe you rotate it. One week, you're going to have it in the morning, and another week, you're going to run it in the afternoon or in the evening. Um, And maybe you um, work with a company that is, um, you know, in the same time zone, but like in Central America or like Argentina or one of those. Isn't it like sure, yeah. If you can, if you can do so, that, that's preferred. Um, so yeah. there's different strategies. So I think it's called nearshore, if I'm not mistaken. Or so you brought up a lot of a lot of really good points there. Um, one other thing that comes to mind is the the format of the uh, the uh, the communication channel. So if you can have a very rich like uh, something like Zoom or uh, you know, a Skype or, you know, one of those Google Hangouts where you can see faces and, and body language and things like that. That certainly helps. Screen sharing helps too, but you, I mean, you raised, you raised a ton of really good points there, Brett. And the, yeah. the other really cool thing that I think is really, really important is, 
uh, not to treat your offshore or nearshore uh, companies or, or people as uh, secondhand citizens. Oh, absolutely. You absolutely. must build trust with these people because they're one of you and they're building the quality product. Their skin is in the game and, uh, you know, they want to create value just like you do. And so I would try to leverage any opportunity you could for real face-to-face time in person, whether that's quarterly or, you know, every six months uh, or even once a year. But having that even two-day or one-day just uh, face-to-face, I mean, that trust building and rapport gathering uh, is going to be so valuable even to send somebody off. To, to those locations and, and bring people from yeah. those locations to yeah. you. Yeah, you it's know, gonna, it's so, so it's so, and, and a lot of companies might look at the dollars and say, oh, this is $2,000 flight or this is $4,000. But really, I, I promise you, I promise you it will pay for itself. That, that I do believe in because we use rotation like that and it's about a year rotation onshore yeah. and it helps so much because once you've seen the person in the flesh and know yep. them and work with them, then the phone call isn't so bad or the, the yeah. handoff mm-hmm. isn't so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my experience has been like Brett's. I've seen it work and I've seen it not work. And there's kind of a continuum. And there are some, it's like, okay, if you have to do it, here are some better practices. And, and having, if you, if, if it, and it's usually the decision comes from up above. And it's, yeah. let's face it, it's, it's almost always about labor arbitrage. Um, it's, it's about, you know, optimize, like, how can we get the labor for the, the lowest cost? Mm-hmm. So it, it goes in other places. Uh, but, you know, if the wider the separation in time zones that you have, it does get to a point where it is difficult, if not, it borders on impossible. Um, when you're dealing with people that are on the other side of the world, not only is there, uh, there's no overlap in their, in a real working schedule, and there, there, a lot of times there's no overlap in even their, their, Sleeping schedule. Mm. People over here are working at the same time people on the opposite side of the world are asleep and vice versa. So I think we, I think it's really good to push for having people as close as possible in time zones and, and physical proximity because there's plenty of data to show that the closer you can get people, uh, that the better the teams operate, uh, and, and the more efficient everything is. Um, so if you, if you do have to, Go outside. Try to condense things to as as narrow a time zone as as possible. Um, have those those types of open uh, electronic communication channels where you can uh, share things on the screen as well as uh, see people's faces. Yep. Virtual whiteboard systems, yep. virtual sticky note systems uh, are important for that. I was thinking, like, in terms of, like, the optimal size of a team, if it's going to be virtual, is something too big, or, or is there some particular work that works better for virtual teams? And then I kind of settled on asking, could you do it with a team that's split? Half of your team is in one place, half is in another, or are you talking about just, like, the team is in one place and the product owner or the or the scrum master are in another place? Because huh? I've been in that situation okay. where I, I, I was a scrum master for a team that was on the other side of the planet. Yeah. Um, and that's like patent, <laughs> that's patently bad. Yeah, um, I, I have to take a stance on that. Yeah, no, <laughs> um, I, I've, I've, that I've, was almost impossible to do. And I and I uh, told the I told management, it's like you know you really should have the scrum master over 
over there, you, where you the team is. end up sounding like management, probably, like the scrum master manager or something, right? I mean... Uh, yeah, they, yeah, and, and oddly enough, that, that was work? a that let's, was let's yeah. This that. is a good like, why question. Didn't that work? Why didn't that work? Yeah, let's, because let's the team it. was I was asleep while the team was working, and okay, vice versa. You, so, did you have a daily scrum now? Uh, yes, we did. Okay, so it was pretty go, early in the morning. So, did you go through the three questions? What did you work on yesterday? What did you do today? Are you blocked? Yeah. And did you look at the burn down chart in your sprint goal to see if you were trying? Trending to achieving that um, product increment. Yeah, uh, yes, we did. Um, there's, there's also much more to it than that. Even though that was a, that was, a, and that was a flat organization too. That was a flat company. I'm just, I'm just but and, and was there another when I say problem? about the when I say about the the sprint right. burndowns and things like that, okay. in that particular situation, uh, that was extremely difficult to do because. They were, they had a lead developer who was creating the sprint backlog and assigning it to oh, people. So it wasn't the only problem. Right, right. But what I'm trying to say is like the, the correlation is not causation. And what we're saying is like, okay, Dale was a remote scrum master, but we can't say that because he was a remote scrum master, uh, you know, like these problems wouldn't have existed. Even, even if there was a scrum master, Offshore, you know what I mean. So I think there's probably other things that made that situation not work. Is what I'm trying to say. Can, can I take Dale's side and add something okay. to that? Because I, I was in that situation where I was in the same time zone but not the same location, and so I have noticed that um, what doesn't work is if the scrum master is in a different place than the entire rest of the team. Yeah. Because yeah. your job is really so. Right. So even yeah. though even okay. if you follow all the ceremonies, it's right. a little bit like Colleen said. It's like uh, I'm the manager. I need you to report your status to me. Yeah. If you have impediment. Certainly, if they aren't in your building, I can go run them down. But the ones that are in your building, you can go to the next office or the you know coffee room or whatever. So it it um, so what I have noticed is when most of a team is somewhere and a few people are not, that's a problem. But if there's a balance of most people are distributed or half the people are in this office or half the people in this office, if there's some um, equality of disconnect. Then people can all kind of work together, but when you've got a when you have a communications uh, difference of like everybody is here except you, um, that gets yeah. to me. so in your model about the product owner, right? Yeah, that's that sort of works, but I've run into that too, where you know the well, developers are in Phoenix, the product. Well, okay, owner I had that here. situation happen when I was a release. So I agree with both of you, Dale uh, and John, uh, because when I was a release train engineer, um, I was working with a team that or teams that were in Minnesota. Um, but here I am out in California, and so I was that you know I wasn't getting the coffee, the coffee pot, water cooler time that I was. And they already for. hated yeah. you because the weather's Probably, better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not because you're a nice guy, but they were just not happy that you always had better weather. Do we have a song, a musical interlude coming up? Is that what I'm sensing here? Uh, I'm, well, I'm trying to see. Let's see. Wait. One fine morning when this life is over, I'll fly away in the morning to a place on God's celestial shores. I'll fly away. I'll fly away in glory. I'll fly away in the morning when I die. Hallelujah, by and by. I'm just guessing at the uh, court. No, that's, right. that's right. It's community. It's community. I, I mean, that's honestly, right. um, I posted this thing, which I really believe is is um, 
music is like agile because you have to practice a lot, fail uh, a lot, and ooh. make a lot of mistakes. Mm, and, fun doing and it's it. actually a process. I realized because when I was a child, um, growing up in an Asian family, of course, I had to play the classical piano. There was no out to that. Mm. And, um, <laughs> you know, but the only way you can learn is really through constant mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I feel like one thing that's very much lacking in the United States is this ability, this this community culture of music. Like, everything has to be overproduced and perfect. But then we don't have the joy of mm-hmm. sharing together, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's something that uh, we should really try to revive. That's really good. Yeah. Well I said. I agree, yeah. I really like that, too. That's, that's nice. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Next time I'll... We'll, we'll practice something. Or, or yes, we won't be all it. polished up, but at least we'll be one step ahead, right? We'll no worries. See, right? we're iterating. <laughs> one, one, one sprint at a time. One sprint. Yeah. <laughs> Next topic. Has your team broke Agile? Yes. Has your team broke Agile, Larry? This is Larry, and my team came very close to breaking Agile. I, I believe there are many reasons. This particular one was uh, a series of events, and some of those events I had no control over and others I did. Um, the idea was that we didn't have a product owner in this particular organization, um, and so the team had to visit a lot of meetings to find out what is it that you guys even want to do here. So the team had to decompose their own stories, basically. And so what happened was, if I, as a scrum master, weren't if I wasn't on top of this, mm-hmm. then then I would find that they really didn't break it down far enough to get it into one sprint so they kept wanting to roll stuff forward and I noticed that in other teams and we got it down for our team, we worked it out really well uh, we came up with uh, our goal setting was basically also uh, a way of decomposing the story I won't go into the details of how we came up with that and what it, how it expressed itself but it worked fairly well but I noticed them with other teams their scrum process totally broke because they kept rolling stuff forward. Well, I didn't get it done, so let's roll it forward. I didn't get it done. So I, for our team, I, I said, this is a sacred promise you're making to yeah. the team members and to to our um, product owner that we didn't have, mm. but, but that we will get this finished. And so they, they were getting it, but every once in a while, they would let it slip through. Like and Then I would have to go back and say, hey, why, why is this rolling forward now? And so we made this little guideline to say, if you roll it forward, you have to explain to the entire team why this is being rolled forward and then what do we want to do so we don't have to roll this forward in the future. Now, it wasn't punishment. It was just a matter of being open. And, and through that, a lot of Kaizen came out of it. Good. We okay, figured good. out, oh, you know what? We need to work a little more. And so this process kept it working. We came very close to breaking scrum. But it, it, I think we... we got by by the skin of our teeth, but other teams that I noticed in an organization, their process was totally broken. So, um, this is Brett, and I think that, um, I think that, you know, in what you're describing sounds like you are, you know, teams sometimes will crawl and then they'll walk and then they'll run. And it sounds like maybe you were just trying to fumbling, you were crawling and you were trying to 
figure things out. But you got you even said it. You you had this continuous learning, this kaizen. You were getting better. You were improving. And really, to me, that's really the heart of what mm-hmm. we're trying to do with Agile. Is okay. Well, we ran an experiment. We tried something. Um, we failed at it. Let's try something else and, and see if we can get better next time. And so, if you have that mindset in the back of your your mind. Then really, yeah, you are crawling, or you know, and, and having some challenges that might have been easily solved with some other structures put in <laughs> yes. place. But you were getting through it with that mindset. Your mindset was what was saving you. So, yeah, that's good. So I would that's say, um, if a team is struggling, if they have the mindset, then they're going to eventually be okay. Mm-hmm. From good. from another angle too, I've actually seen teams break agile when they become too repetitive. And when you think about it, it's like a repetitive stress syndrome, right? I mean, whether it's a emotional or mental muscle or a physical one, if you really do the same thing too many times, it's not going to work well. So you have to establish continuous flow. And continuous mm-hmm. flow means that you know how to change it up and you're really versatile. And it's not always the same. And once the team, you know, because yeah. every, everybody needs a reboot occasionally because it's, it's introduced in phases, right? First, you might start sprinting and you have the ceremonies. And, it, mm-hmm. and then you want to get people to be virtuosos. You want them to be able to flow and change. And, and the original structure is there just as training wheels. So you, don't, you, want a str- you want to have a scrum master that knows how to run a retrospective differently each time. So it doesn't become yeah. like, good. wham, yeah. bam, Not stuck in a rut know, kind we're going to get this done in a half hour because this is an expensive meeting and we don't have time to retrospective. And, I mean, you want to really have, have that, a real a good conversation every now and then and really change it up and make it fresh and new and, you know, team and, and my team actually mm-hmm. does, we call it a scrum hiatus. We have a month where we just decide to completely free flow, you know, and just take time off of all the ceremonies and just really, how does, does that, that work? work? Yeah. Does that work? Yeah, it, it does because people yeah. need refresh, need a refresher, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, we're not producing as much and mm-hmm. we know that we're going to have low velocity, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, pe- people really need that refresher, and then when we get started again, sure, yeah. Is this a standalone team, or is this a team that's part of a larger program? Uh, we're part of a larger program. Does the so. whole program take a break? Uh, no, no. Team? I mean, we still do our work okay. because, I mean, well, my role is is in quality assurance, so we're actually dispersed through many organizations, uh-huh, and you know, okay. but yeah. so so we we take our own internal, we have our own internal okay. scrums, yeah. So, but I, I guess my point is. Mm. I could see that working, and I think leaders should encourage that, where occasionally you have a hiatus and you allow for yeah. creativity and downtime, and, you know, yeah, it's very Yeah, that would take important. a lot of trust from leadership oh, to yes, allow definitely. something like that to happen, so yeah. I guess it would depend on the temperament of your organization. It and, would, you know, it would, but, you know, I mean, it's it's pay now, pay later, right? I mean, yeah. you can well, burn people out. Especially and, with quality, right? You're either going to yeah. fix the bug now or pay later, and, yep. you know, so... Yeah. I mean, we're still getting stuff done, but Good. it's more just we don't expect a high velocity, and I think it's important uh, to do that. Well, you know what? People have to work at a, con- a sustainable pace. Right. If you burn people out, that's true. Um, you're going to lose. You're going to lose that talented work- workforce. Scrum free month. What you call it? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> Any kind of uh, exercise, like uh, learning a new skill, language, or sport, building muscles, uh, when you when you take that rest and you kind of let the field go fallow for a while, right, and then you mm. come back to it, um, 
you get that. I think that that effect is is pretty true there. Any other uh, comments on has your team broke agile? I, if I can just it's yeah. John again, if I can just piggyback on what Colleen said, I like. Mm-hmm. Um, I've flexed the time box before. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's okay. Let's have either less a commitment or okay, we're um, we all need to catch up on our documentation and some stuff. So let's have a mm-hmm. shorter sprint. Mm-hmm. I, I always, um, I, I've in the past typically, if we run three week sprints, for instance, the last month of the year, it's a four week sprint with the same uh, commitment, right? You know, people are going to be kind of out and rotating through, but um, that's an interesting idea just to take uh, just mm-hmm. to take that off. I've even noticed for myself when I've been subject to okay, we're a Kanban team, now we're a Scrum team, now we're a uh, you know, Kanban team or back and forth, right? When I have to get back into the ceremonies or the time boxes for my own work, it, it's just you've got to you've got to refresh those muscles and understand what's it like to be on the other side of it. So yeah, I think it's good to get a to get a fresh perspective. And there's so much value in the art of pausing, right? Because you open your eyes to all kinds of observations, and suddenly you come back, and there's some new angle because you've seen something yeah. different um, because you've paused. Yes. And with that pause, we ask you to participate. Join the conversation. Let us know what you think about uh, Broken Scrum. Give us examples. Use the hashtag TellAgileCoffee. Well, we've got a few more minutes left. Let's uh, let's jump into Dale's topic here. You've got lingering scrummer fall market wide. <laughs> uh, well, this is. Want to give people's input and how much they're seeing of this companies or or you come in and a company company wide or a team is only doing agile about halfway. There's a I won't I'll I'll spare everyone what that the half is <laughs> um, after that uh, the half a um, <laughs> but the, they're using a lot a significant amount of holdover practices uh, and uh, are people still seeing this because I am where you, you come in and companies or teams will say that they're doing agile they're doing scrum uh, and they still have a frightening amount of, of holdover practices where uh, there would be clearly a violation of, of, of scrum rules um, you know things like monolithic requirements documents yeah. um, lead developers telling the other developers what to do um, and assigning tasks out and that sort of thing. Are people, people still seeing a lot of that? or I, I get, I often am confronted with this whole mess of requirements, you know. We have to have the requirements finished. You can never get the requirements finished, but I struggle with that a lot in the last, uh, especially the last company I, I contracted with, and it really gets in your way. And I have no answer for it. I just know that it held us up a lot and sometimes we were really working hard to find work because the PMO couldn't keep up with us. Yeah, and I, I, somebody very recently asked me like what are the most, uh, what are the most, what's the most common problem, what common problem that you see coming into companies and that's, or, or the, or the most difficult one, that's the one that I've, I've seen is the getting people to shift from the idea of, of, Complete requirements mm-hmm. document yeah. to uh, user stories and, uh, and that kind of a model. That's uh, that's a huge and building things iteratively using progressive refinement. Yeah. Yeah. That's a it's a huge uh, mental so, shift. Sounds like maybe they they stuck their toe in the water and they they think they're swimming. 
or something. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody read a magazine hey. article and it's like, oh, this Need is to keep a, going. I, yeah. I read a one-page oh. synopsis of uh, Scrum. So and and similar to, to the last topic when we had is is yeah. your is your Scrum broke? Is your Agile broke? And, and you said that the product owner wasn't even there. It's like, well, it sounds like you didn't even give Agile a try if you didn't have like the someone trial, there to, yeah. to be the champion of the product and all that. Yeah. And the question uh, is, if they're writing monolithic large requirements documents, how often is value being delivered, right? Yeah. And so yeah. that's the place to bring it back question. to is, uh, wow, we're spending a lot of time, but nobody gets to see what the output, the outcome is actually, right? So, yeah, so my, my, my thought would be, um, is everybody trained uh, with the same language, with the same understanding of what we're trying to do and using the same understanding of what iterative and incremental means, what method or framework are we going to be using? Are we using Scrum or Kanban? The benefits of each. So really, is there somebody that's helping to um, to help lead that transformation at the team level or at the organization level? Without that, the system might not be aware of itself enough to even know that it's got problems because the system has is it's like an unknown unknown. Well, I think management definitely has to step in and help cultivate a different dynamic because many times, like you said, there's a natural dynamic that develops with a more domineering person and suddenly that person becomes a control person or yeah. somebody who has to write that 100-page requirements document. If you think about the core problem around these behaviors, it's really about control, right? I control, it's a perception of control. I control the results if I get the requirements on paper, or mm -hmm. I control the team if I direct them in what to do. And those are really hard patterns to break. So I think that's actually a great place to leverage the people management to see, you know, can, can, can this pattern be broken, right? Because it's, it's, it's about control most of the times when I see the scrummer fall. Yeah, um, if I can just add on to that, I, there's two, there's two themes here I'm, I'm, that are mm -hmm. resonating for me. So one is um, we're fortunate the client I'm working with now. One of the things we set up in their agile transformation is that when when teams are ready to start moving to agile, if they aren't already or for for rebooting them, there's a definition of ready for coaching. Oh, this is good. Yeah. So if they uh, so do they do they have the roles filled? Are the even if they don't have you know an FTE Scrum Master who's going to play those roles? Um, have they been trained? If they if they're Kanban or Scrum, you know, have they been trained on that methodology foundationally? How do we take them through that? Um, the other thing, which goes back to your original question, Dale, is about, um, and, I, and I've seen this quite a bit in multiple clients. I'm dealing with a lot with one now. I think that people who are moving, and I remember this for myself, people that are moving from command and control to agile, it's really hard to like take your death grip off the wheel <laughs> and, and, and know that the car is going to stay in the lane yeah. and get down the road. Uh, so I, I'm working yeah, it's with... It's a big fear thing for management. Yeah, it's true. It's like, if this gets screwed up, my neck's on the line. Yeah. So I've got a, a group of people I'm working with now, really bright, really process-oriented. These are the product owners, business analysts in the organization. So we've gotten them to progressive elaboration and refinement and getting out of writing giant business requirement documents. So they've come a long way. But when I when I see them doing what you're calling scrum or fall, right, when I see them going back to, here's our sprint cadence with 15 phase gates in it, 
then that's when I like to have a conversation about, okay, there's there's not Agile, and there's bad Agile, and there's Agile. And sometimes it's okay to do bad Agile, but if we're not doing Agile, let's just be clear about yeah. is it or is it not Agile, and then yeah. we can we can take the conversation from there. And they seem to be open to, when, when you come at the human side of it, as Colleen brought out about what's what's underneath this? Why is there so much grabbing the wheel and wanting to assign you know, assign work to people or the things mm-hmm. that we know are anti-patterns? And it's usually that it, it, it's a fear, it's a concern, there's something in the well, past. Well, yeah, like like you said, there's something in the past. So so something might have happened where they don't they're they're fearful that, okay, this new way of change is just gonna be like every time we other tried to change in the past, you know. Because companies change all the time and change is constant. So And it's a it's a great point too, Brett, yeah. because what we're, what's different here is we're not just replacing yeah. somebody said rep earlier right we've talked about a lot of brands we're not just taking out one project management methodology and putting in another we're we're, we're installing a value system yeah and and, 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 a, and a set of practices and and you know it's messy at first you've got to go slow to get fast and we, we'd be here all night with grandma's little colloquialisms of how we get from here to there but <laughs> but you, I think you hit it on the head so it, um, I the one thing I'm hesitant to do Dale is I don't like to put a name on it because I don't want to give it animus so these people that are like oh yeah we're scrum or fall or some other hybrid methodology it's look we can the we can we can not be agile that's okay we can do bad agile and we could figure out okay why is the scrum master and the product owner serving in the same role and why shouldn't we do that or we can be agile but there's not really i don't see shades of gray in there or i try Mm -hmm. not to um, I try to redirect the conversation if I see people trying to put a label on. No, this is our boutique methodology that we're running here. No, it's not. You just you know thrown three things in the washer. Or, or we tried that in the past, and that can't be done. That's fine, you know. But well, that can't be done here, you know. But then you look at the person's job description, and it wasn't really a scrum master; it was a Franken job. Yeah. yeah yes. Where they're trying to convert a scrum master, combine a scrum master, business analyst, uh, dev lead, um, and a project manager all in the one role and I see franken jobs all the time. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot and I believe it bo- it all boils down to goals. Maybe I think of things too simply or something, but if I were Mr. CEO somewhere and I decided to do scrum, I would embrace it and do it. But I think what happens is everyone or many people have their own little Ideas or different goals, or they want to get something out of this that's a little different than the other guys, and there's no coordination of intent, and the thing breaks down really quick. Then, then you come up with these weird, mix, mixed up roles, or no roles at all, or you you water down, water down your scrum until it yep. disappears. And the latest, the uh, latest one that I experienced was sandpiper scrum. Oh, gee. This is where you run up to the edge of agile and then you run back. You run up to the edge and then you run back. It's like, oh, that's pretty scary. We're getting out of there. Let's, let's spin up a team. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, let's not spin up that team. <laughs> sandpiper. That's a good one. Copyright that. I'm Quick thinking that, that deserves it's a book. It's out on the mat now. Oh, <laughs> uh, it, can be a tri- <laughs> it can be attributed. What do you have to say there, Colleen? Well, I feel like this is the age of the rebirth of rebellion. How many roads must a man walk down Before you can call him a man Yes, and how before she sleeps in the sand 
Yes, and how many times must a cannonball fly before they're forever banned? The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. All right. Um, last topic here for the evening. Uh, and something that Colleen said during the the Scummerfall topic uh, sounded like we we're getting toward this one. And uh, the last topic is: Is it agile, or should it really be called people development? People development. That's that's your topic, Colleen. Yeah. Let's start us off on that. Well, you know, I, I think every time somebody gets us into a conversation about agile, when you really dig into it, it's about how people are or aren't getting along. And, uh, you know, you can bring in engineering practices, you can regroup teams, but when you really dig, it's something in the organization that's, that's hindering mm-hmm. those values from coming forward. So, um, uh, I was talking to a person, um, just the other day about what's going on in her company and saying, oh, you know, Agile isn't working and, um, we're just, we're just not able to produce where we have tons of technical debt. And after we talked for about, 30 minutes, it finally came out that really one of the biggest challenges that person's having is with kind of her peer leadership Mm -hmm. and how they're sort of undermining decisions. And so when the leadership is out of sync, you know, nothing else really works. And it's so interesting because um, it's, it's a theme that I see again and again, and it goes just back to staying in sync being good leaders, uh, giving and taking at the right time, but but so many dysfunctions really stem from leadership. <laughs> well, so if um, leadership has an idea and the people that are doing the work have different approaches, it, how would you describe the trust between leadership and the people doing the work? In terms of? Why there's not alignment. I mean, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I, I think... Sometimes it's, it's, I guess, it's mutual accountability, if you think of it. I mean, it has to go both ways, right? It, it has to come from the top down and, and, and from the bottom up, and there has to be that respect there that sometimes in the efficiency of a company, you do need, like John was saying earlier, you need efficiency of decision. So decisions can't necessarily come out of a complete collaborative, you know, if 100 people agree or not. So... But once those decisions are made and there's a good why behind them and it's been explained, I do feel that, you know, as long as it's not illegal or immoral, mm-hmm. people people should kind of follow along, right? Because, uh, and I'm not trying to say, you know. Are you talking about the technology decisions about what this app or product should do or decisions about the way, the how, the process? Yeah, well, it could be that. Okay. Like in this particular case, it was more about... Um, uh, well, I, I put this person to be the scrum master, and no, this other manager said, no, they're going to be the product owner. And, you know, oh, so so things okay. like, I think that kind of misalignment is so, really harmful. Right. Yes, so it doesn't Agile yeah. say we have self-organizing teams? It does. It does. So, and, and, and that's kind of yeah. interesting because... Uh, so why uh, not run an open yeah. space experiment where you bring people together in a room and run an open circle and ask people to self-assemble into teams? That's, that's a great idea, although this team yeah. is entirely 100% virtual. Okay. So that's interesting. Well, but, yeah, that. you, you they could can do still do that. That's space. a good idea. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. Uh, that's part of that open space agility uh, right. framework. So That's a good idea. Yeah. 
I think that um, scrum masters or coaches or wherever you are on the spectrum there, um, your your job is to develop people, is yeah, to um, help enable people to be as 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 Brett was saying, like self. Uh, self teams to be self-organizing and, and the people themselves, the individuals, to um, to take that on and to develop themselves personally and professionally. So, yeah, I, I think that Agile should be called people development. I mean, I, I think that the more I uh, stay in the field, the more that's that's what turns isn't, me on yeah, are those exactly. types of topics. Exactly. Isn't right? it what draws us all here mm-hmm. is that human potential, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, unused potential is... The worst form of waste. I used to be all about like <laughs> writing up the perfect Gantt chart, but but yeah. that's that's so in the past now. So. I appreciate I that. Was I, that was one of my favorite parts of when I was a traditional project manager. Mm-hmm. My favorite part of the process was creating that that Gantt chart oh, yeah. at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Now it, it took several years for me to figure out that it's uh. like okay, it's never really worked. Yeah. <laughs> once once it's done, um, it's in constant motion. And I actually um, have to talk to these people and figure out why my Gantt chart isn't working. Yeah. And then over time, you're, you're as, as the card says, yeah, it's all about people, people development yeah. and, and getting to know each other and get, learning how to talk to each other and learning how to understand yourself and all that, yeah. And understanding that um, mm-hmm. a team's success is pretty much at the level of the lowest common denominator. Yeah, so if you don't good. bring the whole team along, you're really only operating at that level. Yeah, I mean the the we went through a lot of spirals in corporate culture in this in the US in the 90s and the early aughts about um, you know, we got to this place where we started calling them human resources and human capital, but the people on our teams are the ones that deliver the value. And so mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot not to not to derail this topic, but like a lot of what I see that's not great agile coaching is I'm the expert on agile, let me teach you, why aren't right. you getting it? And the reality is is that people are multididactic. They they learn different ways. They mm-hmm. they um, some people need to be brought on a journey, some people just want the download, some people need to do it. And so really um, what I why I went and got a set of professional coaching skills when I was a project manager and brought them back we used to we used to have this big aversion to soft skills like it was an air quotes word that we all ran from but the more we're able to meet people where they're at and and personalize the interaction and the communication the the why and the how I think the um, the more resonance they can get right you can't control what they do with it once it's delivered but it's very clear that um Everybody, people hear things differently. People have different learning styles. People have different experiences and skills. And so, I think you made a really good point about it being the lowest common denominator. But really, the one one of the things that I think is the work for me is I'm always looking for how can I meet the person I'm interacting with right now where they're at. If they're at the leadership level, if right. they're mid management, if they're people on the teams, if they're a developer who doesn't want to work with people. Um, so the so you're right. The, the human the human evolution side of it, the human dynamics, just becomes more and more important as we value people in interactions yeah and if, if you think yeah. about uh, think about the leaders that are kind of at the pinnacle of the agile world somebody like diana of portland right mm-hmm. i mean amazing humanist right and, and i mean that's that's the kind of leader that you really look up to yep Dana Larson will be at the Scrum Gathering coming up here in just a few weeks uh, in in San Diego. Um, a few of us around the table will be there. I, I think I'll be there as well. Um, hope to see you there. <laughs> hope, so. hope to see you all there too. Uh, reach out to us 
via our Twitter handles, uh, go to the Scrum Alliance website, scrumalliance.org slash sgcal. You can also use that as the hashtag sgcal to follow along uh, at home on, on Twitter. Um, I think, though, that we've run our course for the night. The lights in the pavilion here just went off, so um, there's still people on the baseball diamond. They've got all the lights, but uh, so we're, we're uh, happily accepting their spillover light. Um, I want to thank everyone here around the table. Uh, Brett, Brett Palmer, Dale Ellis, John Eisenschmidt, Larry Lawhead, Colleen Kirtland. Uh, thank you all for being here tonight. Thank you, Vic. Thank Thanks you. for sign up. Yep, really fun time. Uh, and I want to thank you all for listening as well. Um, come back again. Uh, make sure if you visit iTunes, you, you leave a little rating. Say a few words for us if you would. That would help out. And um, stay tuned. There's a little preview for my next podcast uh, called Path coming up right after the outro music and uh, if you would give that a listen to uh, and and it's more of an exploration on servant leadership um, that podcast will be starting in May so so give a listen there let me know what you think um, so I guess that brings us to the end I just want to once again remind everyone to enjoy your coffee with friends you want to play us out Irene good Good night, Irene, good night, Irene, I'll see you in my dreams. Hi, I'm Vic Bonacci, host of the Agile Coffee Podcast. I'm here to announce my new show, Path, a journey to understanding the role of servant leadership. I decided to start PATH because we live in an age where leaders are portrayed as selfish and not concerned with the needs of their constituents. I'm interested to hear about how leaders chose their vocations, how they were called into service of other people. For me to understand what Robert Greenleaf called servant leadership, I want to discover what influenced these leaders, how they got to where they are in their careers, and what they're moving toward on their own paths. This show is going to feature conversations with people who tend to people's needs and become leaders in the process. Please subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I look forward to serving you as we walk along our path.